Buddy, y'all motherfuckers don't know how to buddy, practice. Buddy, 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 buddy. Y'all don't know how to practice. Yeah. So I kicked his helmet and went inside, went home. You called me baby boy. That was my nickname. <laughs> baby boy. <laughs> yep. Yep. That was the last time I cried, cried for real. Was when when After, I found out Junior passed. Yeah. And I yeah. called his phone, yeah. and when that bitch hit voicemail, I cried for about. 30 I've done minutes. that. I've done that with few few guys that have passed, and it's. Because so in my mind, I was like, when I heard on news, I was like, no. No, Junior ain't dead. Well, I mean, we knew, I, I knew something when he, when, he, when he crashed his car off the, the bluff. Yeah, I knew he, exactly. people glossed it over and said it was an accident. I, I knew the guy was trying to take his life. I mean, that was just because I'd been around it. I'd seen it. Yeah. You know, so it didn't surprise me when, when we got that call. Yeah. And that was the wild shit, man, because I used to shit. Me and Joe used to hang. I went to San Diego with him, went to his restaurant. Like, you know what I'm saying? I used to, he had his kids, all hey, his kids. He had his lady. Say out, say out. He, he used to have a drink. They called it the Sweet 16. Uh, when I got drafted there, he had that. <laughs> it, was, it was mother. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't really drink much of it. I think it was kind of a, I don't know, we made it kind of a girly drink, probably. Oh, so he made it as, yeah. <laughs> he loved to fuck with me. Hold up. Limitless. Welcome to the pivot. Uh, so obviously, Freddie T, Channing, y'all all know I'm RC. Uh, we have a special guest today. Ryan Leaf, and I think for everybody paying attention, we want to get into the stuff that you don't know. Not to make fun of, but truly about someone's journey who's turned their life around in an amazing way, and that's what The Pivot um, is about. So for everyone who subscribes, uh, we thank you for your support. We want to thank Happy Dad and DraftKings uh, for sponsoring us. And like we always say, man, anybody can podcast, uh, but everybody can't pivot. And I wanna, I wanna jump into it, Ryan, because I think, what? Why you gotta say it this time? That's a dope hoodie. Oh, appreciate it. Oh my God, I forgot, man. My boy Tastemaker sent me this. And I don't even have one. Well, one, this is the Freddie T Bear. Like, this is how you stand in every picture we take with everybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and I, got, I got pictures from us in the... Uh, <laughs> the uh, Are they just like this? Yeah, he's just standing there. Yeah, like, so this is how... It and is I also it. don't own a gold watch. You know what I mean? Hey, so, that's dope. Yeah. But he talking about 98. He, yeah. he told me Way about it on back. the plane. Way back. What, what, what were those trips like and, and those, those award shows? I mean, obviously, both of you guys... You know, top ten picks. We talked about it on the plane. What was it like, man? You Peyton on all the tours and doing all those different things. I, I mean, I think that was always a, a bit of a problem that I had. Is I just maybe never saw myself as like a peer. When I came there and I saw Peyton uh, and, and I saw Fred and I saw you know like the year before, like I wa walked around Washington State University in a Danny Warfel jersey. Mm. Like that was. That's what I, I thought of. And when I got into the league, even, like our, my first preseason game was against Steve Young and the 49ers. Yeah. And we whooped them. And I played great. But there I am after the game, like, Steve, getting autographed <laughs> right. and shit, right? I just, coming from Montana, is which is where I come from, uh, there's never been a first-round draft pick in the state of Montana ever. I'm the first one. So there are, there are more first-round draft picks in the, the Manning family than the whole state of Montana ever. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I didn't know what that was like. You know, I was just like, I was never supposed to be there. Never supposed to have got, gotten to that place where I was. So I think I was just, uh, I think I was a bit starstruck. You know, right. I, I thought I belonged. I believed I was good enough. I just don't know if I, uh, uh, so when we were at those things, it was like, I had a video camera the whole time. You remember I carried around a video camera the whole yep. time? Just everything, like documented everything. Um, my parents bought it for me and, you know, got to go to the Heisman Trophy and then college football playoff awards down in Orlando. Uh, and then the draft, we had to do the, the photo, the card shoot. Remember we the did card that card shoot, shoot? You got the rookie premiere down in Orlando. Yep. It was so much stuff, and it's bigger than life. But you're catapulted, you know, from college and and not being paid and not you you're important, but not as important. Mm -hmm. Now you're drafted so high, and you know instantly, you know these responsibilities they multiply. You know, you got to go somewhere that you're not familiar with, you've never been, and you are expected to be the person, the man. And in his case, 
more so than mine. I'm a running back right. that was drafted ninth. This, we're talking about guys that changed the faces of organizations. Right. You know, the history of organizations. So I can imagine how much pressure he has to feel that he might not be re ready for. Yeah. No. Speaking of of that pressure, uh, obviously it was you and Peyton Manning, and then you get into the the draft process, and you know for a while, like many, I think it was because of your because of your size, your strength, the the arm strength, the athleticism. It was like okay, we've seen Peyton Manning do a certain thing for four years, but but this guy, the potential, the ceiling could be so much more. When you were thinking about where you would end up, how the draft would go. Did you feel that there would be a ton of pressure on you like there was once you were drafted? No. I, I just I thought it would be as easy as it was in college. And not to say that it wasn't hard, like I didn't put in the work. Like I was, you know, the in the in the film room all night long with with coach and you know, I'd worked uh, on you know, getting up at 6 a.m. My dad would wake me up to go throw passes or shoot hoops mm -hmm. in the morning before school starts. So, I mean, I put in the work. But that final year in college where we had it figured out and I knew the offense like the back of my hand. I mean, it was easy. We mm. we killed we killed yeah. people. We were killers. Yeah. Led the nation in passing. I mean, it was. I thought that was the next step. This was it. All right. And I also felt like I could dictate kind of where I where I went. Mm. It was Indianapolis or San Diego, and I was like, Why do I want to fucking go to Indianapolis? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And San Diego's got the beach and babes and money. Let's let's do that. And I had family in Diego, so I was like. Uh, I told my agent, say, I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily want to go there. If, it, if the people want to say it's draft 1A and 1B, that's cool. We're going to get the same amount of money. Right. And we did. But I think we were like a 250 grand difference. That's it. So that was, I thought that was going to be the best thing for me. I wasn't, wasn't thinking about the fact that they had Marvin Harrison. Mm -hmm. uh, they had Marshall Falk at the time. Mm -hmm. I just, I was thinking about the wrong things. And I think when you get told you're so great, and you get placed on this pedestal. Like, I was being told I was the best quarterback in the country. Mm -hmm. I was going to be the number one overall draft pick. I don't think you have a real understanding of what that microscope's going to look like and uh, the ultimate expectation that exists. I, so I, I wasn't prepared. I was, I was a 13-year-old in a 21-year-old's body in terms of uh, development maturity-wise, you know? And when did, when did that hit? Like, you get drafted. When did that hit that you were like, oh, shit? Not until uh, not until we walked into walked out of Kansas City, game week three. I was two and zero as a starter. I think Peyton had thrown like six interceptions or something, <laughs> lost two games. I've won the first two. Hadn't happened since John Elway, like in 1983. And I'm like, yeah, I'm running this shit. Let's go. Right. It and, is uh, easy, <laughs> right? Yeah. I don't think I was saying it was easy because <laughs> it wasn't easy. But we just won two games, right? And in fact, I found out the like the real hard way at Tennessee in our second week against Steve McNair and Eddie George. We had two possessions in the first half. Mm -hmm. The NFL, man, you, we had two possessions in the whole half. Luckily, we got a touchdown and a field goal, and we walked out of there off the, on the road with, the, with a 2-0 record, and then we're heading to Kansas City. I spent the entire week in the hospital with a turf burn. They got a staph infection. I thought I was going to make everybody you know, see how tough I was, and I'm going to go. Right? They shot me up with, with whatever they shot me up with before the game, uh, IVs and stuff. I went out, had a great warm-up. Skies just darkened. A monsoon hit, and it was the worst possible rainstorm you can imagine. Completed my first pass. <laughs> one for one, four yards. Yeah. My final stat line was one for 15 for four yards. Two interceptions, three fumbles, and like seven sacks. Wow. It's the worst football game of my life. Humiliated, embarrassed. I would play for five years in the NFL, and I can tell you guys right now that my career was over after three games, and I had won two of them wow. because of how I, how I dealt with it. I yelled at that reporter the next day yep. Yep. because he caught something in the locker room after the game. I got hit with a cameraman in the side of the head, and I just lost it. I blew up at him, uh, you know, kind of motherfucked him up and down and said, uh, said some, some, you know, emotional shit. Mm. And the, the beat reporter reported about it, and, you know, I, I was pissed. I read it on the way into the work the next day. I was more embarrassed. It was a projection on my part, right? I was right. embarrassed, and I was humiliated. I'd never had played that way. Now, if I would have stepped up in front of that podium, pulled a Tim Tebow and went, oh, something like that will never happen again. I will work my ass off, right? Accountability. Right. I was never accountable. I, I, I just was so humiliated 
that I backed myself into a corner and tried to point at other people that it was their fault, their problem. Shouldn't have played me. I was in the hospital. We coaches me over. Uh, my teammates didn't have my back. Um, you know, the media's out to get me, right? That was, that's the lack of accountability that, that I think people who are incredibly entitled have. And, and I had it at the time. And I can, guys, I can tell you guys right now that my, I don't remember another positive thing the rest of my career. So when, we, when we're going through um, oh, you know, different challenges in life, uh, we, we, we try our best to you know, solve those and find our way out. You know, we can turn different directions. We can turn to a support team, a support system to try to see if we can talk our way through that. Or we can turn through other elements, uh, substances, those different mm -hmm. things. What was that one thing that, you know, the one direction that you turned to try and uh, bring yourself to be the guy you once was when you were in college? I really, I really leaned into the fame. Thought if I was famous and rich, that would overcome. It would make everybody think that everything was okay. Mm -hmm. I wish I could blame uh, the fact that I wasn't a successful NFL player on some sort of substance. It just, you know, you know, I didn't start abusing uh, painkillers till after I quit, and uh, that may be an easy excuse then. Like I was strung out, you know, that was a problem. Mm -hmm. It wasn't. I just, uh, I didn't do the work. Right. You know whatever that needed to look like. And what I did is I leaned into the fame aspect of it, right? So I, let me, why not the work? I. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Had never seen anybody, I think, growing up in the cowboy culture of Montana, in locker rooms in college and the NFL. I don't think I'd ever seen another uh, man uh, actually say, uh, I'm fucking hurting here. I need some help. Right. Mm. So I, if I'd never seen it, how am I supposed to do it? Right. And I also thought that meant you're weak mm -hmm. um, and people would look at you that way. So I thought, I'm going to fight. I'm a big, physical, intimidating guy. I'm going to fight my way out of this. And the only way I knew how to fight was to, you know, when I was backed into a corner is to, is to swing and let it go. But what I was always really good at was going out on the football field or the baseball diamond or the basketball court after a shitty attitude and, and whooping everybody's ass. Yeah. And everybody kind of going, all right, we can put up with that nonsense. But at the highest possible level of the NFL – you can't do that. When, you're, when your central nervous system is on tilt all week long, fighting the media, your teammates, everything, and then you're going to go up against the best defenses in the world on Sundays, that, that doesn't work. It doesn't matter how darn talented you are. Mm -hmm. It really doesn't. Randy Moss may be a little different. Mm -hmm. That might be the only guy I can look at like that. That dude didn't matter how he behaved or acted. He'd go out, do whatever he wanted because he was just that far superior than everybody else talent-wise. Yeah, but I mean, but you played quarterback. Yeah. So, so that's, that. I think that's different. The, the, the way that that game has to work here and here is differently sometimes than if you play wide receiver or running back. And, and also, too, that sort of anger that you hold in your heart throughout a week it's unleashed differently. Like, yeah. I, I knew, like, if I was pissed off all week, y'all going to throw one of these slants, and I'm going to be able to take it out on him. He going he gonna to get it. Bust somebody for, in the head. Right, for you it's different. Something caught me though, just now when you were answering, you said until I quit. Right, that's a, that's a very specific statement. Um, people say they retire, people are cut. Cut, there, released. There, there, yes. there are a lot of things that happen. And you said until I quit. Why do you use quit when you talk about the end of your career? Because I quit. I called Mike Holmgren, the head coach for the Seattle Seahawks, where it's my fourth stop, and I told him, Coach, I'm, I'm just I'm tired of being beat up physically, mentally. And I told him I quit. I had a, I had a roster spot. I was going to be the backup quarterback to, to Matt Hasselbeck in uh, Seattle. You know? and maybe if I you know, did the work while I was there with a great offensive mind like him, maybe I'm the starting quarterback in Super Bowl 40 mm. against y'all. Wow. And uh, I was just so sick and tired of it, Ryan. Um, and what I hadn't realized is that I was starting, 
I was dealing with a bunch of mental health issues, and I, I didn't know that. I just thought I was lazy. Uh, I thought I was uh, couldn't understand why I couldn't get out of bed, and uh, and I felt sad all the time. I just I didn't fully understand what that was. So instead of walking into coach's office office and telling him all those things, I just told him I quit because I thought I could I thought I could disappear, guys. I really did. I didn't fully understand that I was drafted alongside arguably the greatest to ever play. Mm-hmm. Um, the the you know, innovation of the internet really happened in 98, mm-hmm. you know, and, and viral videos and, and me yelling at the reporter is something that uh, is a caricature of me, right? That's, yes. it's how it's tied. But I just thought I could, I could disappear. I, I had what I thought was success, money, power, and prestige. So what I thought was success was. Uh, had all the money I could ever imagine, the prestige that came with it, uh, and the power that came with money. That prestige may be a little tarnished now that I was a, a former player. And, mm-hmm. I didn't understand how fully they would, they would attack the biggest bust of draft history. You know, I, I didn't think I fully understood that. I knew it was out there, and I knew people loved to use that identifier. I just didn't know how it would affect me. Like it, it, it took me to the absolute bottom because I believed it. I believed what other people had to say. Not only did I believe that people thought I was an awful football player, but that I was a shitty human being. That's how right. my mind interpreted everything, right? Football and, and life were attached at the hip. They'd always been my whole life. That's who I was, right? Terrible football player, which isn't furthest thing from the truth. As you guys know how hard it is, how hard we, it takes to get where we got. Right. And then to, to be, it just tossed into a pile like worthless piece of shit. When you say, though, you, you couldn't figure out why you couldn't get out of bed, or why you were tired, or why you were sad. And now mentioning you believed what people said about you. What did you say, what did you say to yourself during that time? Like you said, you know, I just thought I was lazy. Like how much did you beat up on Ryan yourself to where the world didn't really even have to do it? I, I, I don't remember mm-hmm. specifically doing it because I, I propped myself up with the, the money and the the power and the prestige thing. So I would go to, say I would go to Vegas for a fight, you know, mm-hmm. be seen in public as the, you know, rich, famous person. And even though I was no longer playing football anymore, but I still had, I had this narcissistic quality to myself where everything still had to be about me. <laughs> and, uh, um, and so I would be at one of those fights. And you guys have been to fights before in Vegas where, you know, you get the, the good seats and there's a quid pro quo. They announce your name to the audience and stuff. And I always feared that so much. Because I was like, I want all the things that come with being a supposed celebrity, but I, I don't necessarily want anybody to know. Uh, so when they're announcing guys' names, they're like, Dr. Dre, and there's Tiger, and mm-hmm. the audience goes nuts, and they announce Ryan Leaf, and the whole MGM Grand just boos and hisses. And it's not like that hasn't happened before. I mean, we play on the road, right. but we're wearing helmets. We have this armor on, it almost emboldens us. That's where that really started to creep in where I was like, oh yeah, that makes more sense that I'm a piece of shit to these people than I am anything worthwhile or purposeful. Wow. And sure enough, that night, that night it happened in Vegas, an acquaintance of mine offered me some Vicodin. Now I've had it before. I've had it before, I've had 15 surgeries, right? But I never abused it. And I always went to these parties where there was Super Bowl champs, mm-hmm. Hall of Famers, Guys where I always felt judged and less than in a room, even though I know they didn't judge me or think I was less than, but I, I felt that they did. And so he offered me this, these meds and man, if you've taken them in your life, right? It, it, it's a painkiller. And most of the time it's for physical pain. And I was in a lot of emotional pain and I took a couple pills with the alcohol I was drinking that night and I walked in and out of those parties and I felt none of that judgment, none of that fear, and I found my answer. I think I'd just been, I'd just been, I'd just been looking to be numb for as, and not feel for as long as I could remember. Let's put it this way. I'm a, you know, kind of a redneck from Montana. I wanted to play sports and compete and be liked. That's all I ever wanted to be. And, uh, you know, I just, uh, um, I, I never, I never, I never ultimately got to that place. And it, it, it ruined me, man. Why did you find so much value in others' opinions of you? Like what? What like- the, nar- the narcissist, right? That it's it was about all about me. So um, there was this thing, this affirmation that my therapist had me start using when I got out of prison. Uh, 
It was what other people think of you is none of your business. And it sounds simple. Like it's a simple thing to do. But if your brain isn't trained into thinking about it, so she had me start saying it every day in the mirror. And for the first two weeks, month, like it's, I said it through gritted teeth. Because I, I just, I mean, we'll get a thousand compliments, especially now in my life. Right. I mean, you're on TV. You guys do this. You'll get a thousand compliments about how great the show is and everything. But there'll be that one negative just thing. And for whatever reason, the one out of a thousand, you'll, you'll focus on that one. It's just, it's human nature. Mm-hmm. And when it's vice versa at the time, a thousand of them are just hammering the shit out of you. You don't ever even see any of the positives that are moving forward. So I just cared so much about what other people thought of me. And even if it wasn't great, it just, I just cared so much about what other people thought of me. And uh, it helped drive that, that constant less than feeling. And in moments like that, when you're a public figure, right? I mean, you guys saw I walked in here. I'm six foot seven, you know, 250 pounds. Yeah, you can't hide. So he, he ain't sneaking nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was why I was an easy, easy mark when I, uh, I got busted, right? I can't break into houses being six foot seven, 250 pounds. Hey, hey, yeah. you know, hey, big enough. I think, I think Ryan Leaf, I think Ryan, Ryan Leaf broke just into broke my in. House. Yes. I think, yeah. No, they're like, how do you know? He's big as hell. <laughs> because he's Ryan Leaf. Yeah, yeah, like, like I know it too. So, hey, Ryan. We, we, we know how you got there, Ryan. Um, the mental part of it, the depression, and uh, not feeling, you know, um, worthy of much. Uh, but in 2009, man, is when you hit the rough patch, the, the burglaries and all of that. What made you think they had prescription drugs in that in that specific house? Or you didn't give a f- Every fucking house has pills in it. Every house. I mean, but you're kind of... I mean, you oh, so, oh it, kinda... it is a uh, toss of the coin, I tell you that much. It, being in Montana, where I was at at the time, where guns are everywhere in everybody's house, how I wasn't shot is, is a miracle. So you were that, that, I guess you were that far strung out and, and addicted was that nothing, it was like... There was nothing, the ends justified the means, regardless. The psychological effect opiates have on your brain is crazy. Like, I, I looked at myself in the mirror every night and I said... You are you fucking junkie. You need help. I mean, I knew it, but the only way for me to not feel that shame, feel that guilt, or feel the less than of of being this this junkie uh, was was to to feed it. Like because when I fed it, I didn't feel any of that stuff because it numbs you out. Like you don't you don't feel anything. And so initially, it was going to friends' homes and pretending I was there to visit them, go through their medicine cabinets uh, and take them. And then at the end, I you know. My amazing criminal mind thought, hey, why don't you go to open houses? Pretend you're interested in buying the house. You get free reign of the whole damn house. Wow. You know? And sure enough, man, I mean, nine times out of ten, I might find some. And it wasn't like I was collecting them for days, too. I was like, I showed up and I found them. Like, my day was done. Like, the moment I woke up in the morning, do I have pills? And if I don't, how do I get them? And as soon as I got them, like, there was a whole criminal mentality to it, right? I'd get in the car. I'd punch in the... Uh, addresses of the open houses and the GPS. I throw on some Kid Cudi. I don't know why Kid Cudi got me all pumped. <laughs> Day and night album, man. I'm just like rolling. No, no. You can't make these jokes. Like you can't be telling this story, bro. I'm serious. It was like alive and nightmare and pursuit of happiness. I'm just, you know, rolling, you know, and just, you know, <laughs> this mindset of like fucking jacking these people's homes so I can get right. But yeah, there's like this. I had this, this, just like preparing for a game. Here was my day. And that's what my day was. And it, I fed it every single day. And, I, you know, luckily, uh, all those nights that I <laughs> clamored for somebody to help me, my higher power finally said, you just, you don't get it, dude. So I'm going to send the sheriff's department to help you. Did getting caught save your life? Yeah. I couldn't do it on my own. I tried. I'd gotten sober before. Uh, I had a brain tumor that you know, I had to go deal with, um, brought on by from the trauma of getting hit. Um, it was right on my brainstem and freaked us out a little bit. And you know, it was about a golf ball size. And I don't talk about that much because I feel like it's an excuse. Mm-hmm. Like I relapsed after my going through radiation. Like everybody else who goes through that gets painkillers because it's painful. And it, but I'm not like everybody else. Like mm-hmm. I'm a drug addict. So, like I told you, I'm allergic. Like, I break out in handcuffs. That's the way it works. 
after that surgery and going through radiation, the doctor prescribed me some, and I didn't tell him that I had an issue before. Uh, and literally, he gave them to me December 1st, 2011. And by March 30th, 2012, literally four months, I was in prison. Do you think football created that? Not, not created the drug habit, but created the stress or the mental ailments that made you go towards that was, if you never played football, if you weren't gigantic, 6'7", 250, do you think you would have had these same problems? I don't know if I had the substance abuse problems. I got introduced to them because of the surgeries from playing football, right, orthopedically. Yeah. Uh, you know, I didn't drink in high school. I didn't, the only drug I've ever done is, is a prescription painkiller. I smoked weed in Amsterdam one time because, you know, went in Rome type of mentality, you know. Right. Didn't like it yeah. at all. Um, I liked feeling sedated. I liked feeling numb. I liked feeling, you know, away from everybody. Like, I knew guys that would get high and they would go play hoops or they would go hang out with people. Like, I wasn't going to waste my high on you. Like, this was my precious. I was like fucking Gollum. Like, you know, just like <laughs> taking that shit in. And I have dates with girls, beautiful girls, and I'd cancel on them because the pills were more important to me. That was just wow. my only coping mechanism. Now. The football aspect of things, football gave me everything. Yeah. It gave me everything. I, and I blamed it for a long time. And that's accountability piece. Like, I'm here, whether that was looking at myself in a prison cell mirror, or if I, I'm here right now with y'all because of what I did, no one else. Right. And when you break it down that simple, you can't point your finger at anybody else. Because mm -hmm. then you're wrong. I, you know, could the Charger have, Chargers done more, right? Could, you know, a guy that was just paid $31 million, could you hire a, a PR guy to follow him around for 100 grand a year to make sure he doesn't fuck up? Yeah. You, yeah, you can do stuff like that. You could, can you not fire your head coach in week five and then bring in some dude from the Pac-10 that isn't his head coach right. from two years ago, but some guy that has never won uh, 500 worth of games at, at Oregon State? I mean, there's so many things you can point fingers at, and I did that for so long. But it doesn't matter what anybody else did. What was my part in it? So same thing with, with that. Football was not the reason why. I'm the reason why. I'm the problem. That's why every stop I had, and I was in four places, and four teams gave me opportunities, and I was with Tony Dungy in Tampa Bay, which was the best possible place I could be in with him as a head coach, and I still found ways to f*** it up. I was the problem. Yeah. I was just the problem, and so I needed to get right. And until I did get right, nothing was ever going to work out for me. Oh my gosh, Ryan Leaf's story is absolutely fascinating. What's also fascinating is the DraftKings Sportsbook app. And any new customer right now, if you use the promo code PIVOT, any pregame money line wager, you bet $5, your bet hits, you get $150 in free bets, and that's not all. Hey, RC, Sportsbook isn't everywhere. But don't worry, listen, DraftKings got you covered. DraftKings Daily Fantasy, DraftKings Rainmakers. You can still play and you can get your money wherever. I got same game parlay in Jersey. I cashed out in Florida. I'm schooling you, Freddie, on them same game parlays, multiple bets on the same game. I like to bet the winner and buy how much and get even bigger winnings. DraftKings Sportsbook. Get out your mobile devices and download the DraftKings Sportsbook apps. Daily fantasy, same game parlays. Whatever sports you love, the DraftKings Sportsbook is the place for you. Remember, any pregame money line wager, for new customers using the promo code PIVOT of $5 if you win $150 in free bets. Now back to Ryan Lee. We had Jamarcus Russell on the show as Get well. You, you and I actually talked about it. Yeah. And there was a, and you know, and Jamarcus is our guy. Yeah. You know, and there was a point in that interview where I was like, hey man, like you ever think to yourself that you could have done something differently, that at some point it wasn't everybody else, that there were some things that you could be accountable for. I think one, I wanted to know if he did see anything that way. And I also think sometimes that accountability and that awareness frees you from having to blame everybody else the rest of your life and it allows you to move on. What was the moment you realized that? Was that being in jail and, and looking in the mirror that you said, you know what? This is probably on you, because not anybody else in there with you. It's only you and him in the mirror. So uh, I had a roommate in prison, and dude just complained every single freaking night about how, uh, how he was there because of this girl. Girl called the cops on him. And I finally just got fed up with him one night, and I was just like, dude, 
why, why'd she call the cops on you then? <laughs> right. And he just kind of seemed stunned for a minute, and he's like, well, I hit her. And I go, maybe you're f***ing in jail because you hit her. Right. So yeah. we have blinders on. Like, we, we don't see what we did. We see what other people do that cause us to do whatever. But you can't control that. You can control you. That's it. And it, yeah, it took me to that place where I had to hear, I had to be in prison with a bunch of people that absolutely blamed everybody else but themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was that guy, right? I blamed the media. I blamed my hometown. I blamed my family. I blamed, uh, blamed the NFL. Uh, I blamed everybody, but, but never took any accountability on my own part. And so when that moment came, yeah, when I said, Ryan, you are here because of what you did. No one else. That you said the word exactly. That's freedom right there. So you, you go through these things and, and you start to rebuild your life. Like very few people get an opportunity to be here and here, right? And, and, and the in-between is extremely tough to find a balance because all you know is the lowest of the lows and the highest of the highest. So when you take that first step to rebuild your life and get to this point where you can be self-aware enough to sit here and be open and honest about it, what is that? It's the hardest fucking thing I've ever done. I mean, I walked out of prison December 3rd, 2014. So this isn't like it was 20 years ago, guys. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're coming up on my eight, eight year anniversary. And when I walked out, I had nothing. I had blown every penny I had. Um, I didn't have a place to live. Like you and I work for the Disney Corporation. Yeah. RC, like Mickey Mouse wasn't sitting there going, hey, Ryan, come over here. <laughs> Work for me. You're right. Like, no. Like, right. no one wanted to be around me. My hometown newspaper, where I'm supposed to be the hero back home, runs a freaking cartoon the day I get out. It says, lock up your medicine cabinets, Ryan's out. Wow. And, I mean, just just breaks your heart because you already feel like you're a piece of shit. And then they're reinforcing, like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. And I'm still that way. Like, somebody will give me a compliment, and my body, my body action is, like, I look down at my feet. And if somebody, you know, calls me a piece of shit or says you're a bum or a loser or a bust, like, I, my, I don't, my, I go, I'm like, that's about right. Mm. It's still innate. Because when you're beat over the head with it for so long, you just, you buy it. And, uh... And so when I walked out, I had none of those things. The thing I had, I had a place to lay my head down. My mom and dad, God bless them, have unconditionally loved me my entire life. They did not need a famous football playing son. They needed a son who was respectful, had character, some integrity, who was at peace, and had a chaotic free life. That's what they wanted, and they, they certainly did not get that. But they were there on that day. I walked out with nothing, climbed in the back of that car, uh, and drove off to my hometown to live in their basement as a 38-year-old man who used to be a millionaire and a second overall pick in the NFL draft, endorsed by Nike and Rolex and, yeah. you know, everything you can imagine uh, with nothing. So how do you start? And it, what, it, what makes it so impactful is when I walk into prisons now and I walk into places and they just assume that, my life could get better simply because I was a former famous yeah. football player. That was easy. And it wasn't. I had nothing. I walk in there and I tell them I, had, I didn't have a penny to my name. Like, my first instinct was find some pills and just fucking end this. You know, that was my first instinct. And what I learned in prison because of my roommate, um, he was an Afghan-Iraqi war vet. And he had uh, it driven drunk one night when he was home uh, on leave and he killed somebody. And he had made amends. He had forgiven himself. He had, uh, he wasn't resolute with being that guy. And I watched him like every day try to better himself. And I thought he was just stupid. I mean, you know, I'd never been marginalized in my life. I didn't know what that was like until that judge said, hey, you know, you're not worth anything to the, to the, to the world. I'm going to give you a number and warehouse you. You know, I'd open my eyes. I grew up in a very predominantly white mm -hmm. suburban community. My only black friends were my football teammates, which probably made me so much more understanding, but still never a, would have had the idea of what marginalization looks like in any way, shape, or form. So this may be the closest thing. So there were so many lessons along the way. And my roommate, he just had enough of it. And he confronted me one day and he said, you, have, you don't understand the value that you have, not only for the men in here, but when you get out, Ryan, because you're going to get out at some point. 
he may never. And so he suggested we go down to the prison library and help prisoners who didn't know how to read learn how to read. Wow. Uh, and I, I had so many of those come to Jesus moments in my life, coaches, mentors, family, and I just told them to off. I got this. But I went, maybe because the substance had been on my brain. for This was about 26 months into my 32-month sentence. Mm. And I walked down that hallway, and I was in a red prison jumpsuit, and I was thinking, this is stupid. This isn't going to help me. Doesn't he know how important I am? I mean, the irony of the guy in prison in a red jumpsuit still thinking he's important right. is the real problem in all that comment. Right. And so I walked into this room, and here's this man who's 50 years old, where you're in a place where you're supposed to show no vulnerability or, or anything like that because he can get you hurt. And he walks up and he goes, uh, Ryan, you know, I, I can't read. Can, can you help me? And I, my first instinct is like, what the f wrong with you? Right. Like I told you earlier, I've never seen a man do that, right? Mm -hmm. Especially in a place like this. And so I started helping him. And what it turns out was, is that here are the two guys in the most you know, awful place you can imagine, like helping each other navigate it and get over, you know, peer to peer. And it's not like I saw it happen in the moment, right? You never, you can't, you don't go to the gym one day. And the next day you wake up and look like the rock, right? I mean, it's, right. about, it's about consistency. You got, right. you got to show up. And so I, I kept going back, kept going back. And before you know, a week had passed, two weeks, a month. Now I'm the TA for the substance abuse counselor while I'm in there. And I wake up one morning and I realize I'm sleeping better. I'm talking to my family. I'm more personable. And I'm like, I'm, I'm being of service to another human being for the first time in my life. I used to think what we did on Saturdays and Sundays was was me being of service uh, or giving money. Right. It's where right. I associate a lot of service. Hey, here, money. Right. <clears throat> and this was the first time. No one saw it. Media didn't know we were doing this. Um, no one cared. It was just between me and this other human being helping each other out. And I knew that when I got out, it was going to have to be at the, the crux of my and foundation of my life. Otherwise, nothing was going to change. I was just going to be the same dude I'd always been. It was rehabilitation. Like, the, the thought of prison is that. Like, you're just saying that. I will say this. I'm grateful for having spent 32 months in prison. Mm -hmm. I never thought I'd be able to say that. I don't recommend it. <laughs> I All right? I don't recommend it. it. You can go about it a different way. Take my story. Listen to the pivot. <laughs> pull that way around. All right? You don't have to go there to deal with this stuff. Because I tell you what, nonviolent drug offenders do not belong in prison. They belong in treatment mm -hmm. so they can help people and get out. Because what, guess what? I went to prison not knowing one drug dealer. I know 100 now. Oh, man. Yeah. You know, so it's it's not a place for rehabilitation. There's a reason why we're the most heavily populated prison uh, population in the world. Yeah. It's another society. It is. You were scared in there? No. You were never, you just because your size or? Size, and I tell you what, man, I mean, it was, I was, I, I kind of fed, you know, I was famous. And then one of the wardens one time told me, you know, he was he put me in solitary for a while because he was worried somebody was going to try to hurt me to make a name for themselves. But no one had approached me in that way at all. In fact, the people that had approached me were like, like anybody else. They were like, I cannot believe you made it to where you made it. And you're here. Tell me about it. What I mean, they just wanted stories. And I remember, like, one of my first days in prison, a guy came up to me and asked me to go out and, and play football with him. And there was a group of them, and they were flag football, and they asked me to be all-time quarterback. I remember it was April 10th, <laughs> April 10th, 2013. And I started playing, and I'm looking at the mountains that I grew up in, and I hunted and fished in, and there's razor wire there. And I just felt humiliated and just embarrassed. And we play, and I hear the walkie-talkie squawk, and it's like the fucking longest yard. It was like, Leafs out here throwing balls. And <laughs> guards are down there, and they're watching and shit. And, uh, and I do it, and then I, I immediately walk off and just like, I'm never doing that again. I'm never, I went outside twice. That day, April 10th of next year, twice in the 32 months I was in prison, I went outside. I was so, I was so, I was about 325 pounds, two guys with the Unabomber beard, and I was just, just angry all the time. And uh, the guy that day walks up to me who asked me to go out and play, and he's like, Ryan, you made my day, man. It was my birthday, and now I can, you know, I, I got to play catch with an NFL quarterback. Mm. And I still couldn't hear it in that moment, man. I couldn't hear that I had done something for somebody else. I was still thinking about myself going, what an embarrassment. What a f***ing embarrassment being out there and 
prison playing football, looking like a scrub. That's how my brain interpreted it. I didn't hear this dude that just, it made his day. Yeah. And I still, still to this day go through that, but now I hear it and I understand what it means uh, to be of service and when that has nothing to do with you. So when I walked out of prison, that was the thing in my head. Like it can no longer be about you ever again. You are now, like you say, you work for the mouse. This for all, the mouse. This all came about, you know, uh, I was down to watch Jordan play. They were playing Oklahoma State. He's doing the Oklahoma game, and I go to work out. I was like, who is this big mother effer on this treadmill? You know what I'm saying? And you know how, like, you, like, you look at a guy, and you're like, that's Ryan Leaf. But you're thinking to yourself, you're like, like, all white people don't look alike. Like, he could just be like a big white dude. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to embarrass myself or insult this man be like, hey, yeah. man, you Ryan Leaf? You yeah. know what I mean? And so then we end up being on the same plane. But he spoke about rehabilitation. There has been a rehabilitation of your life. And you're, the, you're a family man. And you are now entrusted and have the opportunity to take care of other people every single day. When you think about where you were, just having to learn to serve. And now truly, whether it's speaking you know, with, with, with your family or whatever it is, truly being of service every day. Could you have ever imagined when you were going to open houses just to get a fix so you could go home that you'd be at this point of your life? If you had told me this would be my life in 2022, I would have told you you're nuts. It's just, there's no way that can happen. There was no hope. There was no hope. I, uh, I wanted to be dead. That's what I wanted. Like the ultimate numbing, and the reason why you use opiates is that you just you never feel anything again. Mm -hmm. So that's why nothing ever dissuades you from doing something crazy, like you know walking into somebody's house and getting shot, or or having be, being arrested, and because that's that's you're looking for that. And so yeah, I never, no way. I didn't want to have a kid because I didn't want to saddle my kid with my last name. Mm -hmm. And then I. Had to think about that and go, what a selfish thing. My dad's, it's my dad's last name. It's my grandpa dad's last name. They both served. Uh, my dad, two tours in Vietnam, came home, got spit on. Um, my grandpa in, in Korea. And I mean, that name means something. Yeah. And I was so selfish that I thought it was, like it would embarrass, I was worried that he would get teased or, or, or made fun of and stuff like that. And I mean, it, that was all about me. That was all about me. So when, you know, when my, when my wife told me, she was pregnant. I mean, I. It's the best thing I've ever done, man. Really. Yeah. Is that moment when you hold your kid in the hospital for the first time, um, and she was having some complications, so I had to do the, the skin on skin. Mm -hmm. And there's a uh, there's a selflessness that that washes over you because you just you know that everything you do moving forward is going to be about them. Yeah. Like every dollar I earn. You know, every, it, it, I don't care if I, if I make any money uh, for myself ever again. Like, this, everything's going to go to him and her and our family and, and, and hopefully make it. The, and and all, what's also great is both of them, they'll, they'll never have to see that, that version of me. I mean, they still get, you know, old Ryan because you just don't get fixed overnight, right? right. You, you know, 38 years of my life, I was this guy. Maybe when I'm 76, I'll have it figured out, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> so I'm a constant uh, evolution and uh, being a dad. I, I introduced him to, uh, we watched The Goonies last night. Oh. Hey, you guys. And, uh, <laughs> chunk. Oh, yeah. chunk. It was to watch the facial expressions, because it's my childhood, and then watching it be relived through, uh, uh, through his eyes, you know? And uh, this is just that's the coolest thing about being a dad. You just, the innocence. like. Whatever innocence was robbed of me because of my actions, mm. I feel like I'm getting some of that innocence back where I'm not cynical to the world. Um, and I can walk into any situation and simply choose to be pleasant and happy about it. Listen, in today's world, it is so hard to find your match. I'm not talking about romantically. I'm talking about if you are an employer in business, but ZipRecruiter.com is the place for you. If you're looking for a lawyer, if you're looking for a nurse, if you're looking for an accountant and your business can't find the one for you, this is the best matchmaker in the world. Go to ZipRecruiter.com no matter where you are and you can find the perfect person to do exactly what you need. Everything in life, you're looking for help. You're looking for help with your schoolwork, you're looking for help with your job, you're looking for help 
with hiring, you got to go to ZipRecruiter. They're the best. If you want help, go find the best help. And that's what people do when they're successful in business. It's ZipRecruiter if you're trying to hire. Hey, listen, get in the game. Motivate your audience from accountants to zoologists. ZipRecruiter has it for you. Let them use their powerful technology to help you find the right candidate. That's right. They have an amazing technology that allows you to filter, review, and rate your candidates. Get the person that's right for your job. When you are ready to build your winning team, let ZipRecruiter help you build the perfect roster. You can try it free today at ZipRecruiter.com slash DraftKings. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash D-R-A-F-T-K-I-N-G-S. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Are you really happy? Are you at peace now? I don't like the word, I don't necessarily like the word happy because life is still life. Life is unfair. It's how you deal with it that matters, yeah. okay? So um, I still mess up all the time. Um, I'm still a flawed human being, um, but I am at peace. Like, like there's, there's no chaos in my life, mm -hmm. except for the ones I, except for the chaos I, I make myself. And that's because, um, you know, I, I work hard now. Like there's, yeah. what's cool about these jobs, and I think a big reason I get a lot of work, you know, and I, and I do not take it for granted because there, you know, there are plenty of people that probably don't look like me that don't ever get an opportunity like I'm getting. And so I'm not, I don't take it for granted. So I work my ass off mm. and I have the perspective around like, this is not, this is not, you know, expected. This is, you have to do the work. And I think it's made me a better person to work with. Like, we'll never walk out of a situation where somebody goes, ah, oh, man, I hate, I, you know, I know when people left me and, after meeting me before in the past were like, that's a, that guy. Yeah. You know, and people are now are like, I want to work with that guy. I want to spend time with that guy. And that, that's the biggest compliment you can ever get. And so, yeah, there's, there's a piece to it because there's an acceptance. Like, this is me and it's okay. Right. Yeah. I was never that way. Like, this is me with conditions. Now it's, this is me, this is Bear, this is flawed human being who fucks up and, you know, is, you know, cries and, um, and loves life because I tried to take it, right? You know, that's, and that's, that's the most selfish act there is. Can you watch the game of football without feeling depressed? God, yeah. I mean, for a while, you know, during that time it was. It's the greatest sport in the world, man. Uh, I get to call those games now. Right. I just called the, the Saints and Cardinals game the other night on mm -hmm. Thursday Night Football. And, man, I, it's just such a beautiful game. Yeah. yeah. And it, like I said, it gave me everything. Um, and um, I don't care if people would consider me a bust because um, I don't believe it because I know what it took to get there. Uh, and, uh, hell. I named it my podcast, so. <laughs> you better be careful because Jamarcus said, if you don't put the biggest in front of that mother. <laughs> That's what he said. I appreciated his, his full-throatedness to, <laughs> to what it was going to be. And so yeah. if he wants it, you know. <laughs> yeah, you, you give that one to him? Well, I'm still competitive, so like, <laughs> I'm cool with it. I mean, if you consider the biggest bust of all time, you know how damn good you had to be? Yeah. yeah. Right? That's, That's, a, That's exactly. That's exactly what he said. I think we would have never been the biggest bust because we weren't good enough in college to I be sure considered the biggest bust. I, if I would have been drafted in the second or third round, I, you know, who knows? I, just being the, getting the NFL from where I was from, it would have been cool. But, you know, if that would have happened, you know, I, I may have been flown, flown under the radar, learned, you know? What, what if I'm Brian Greasy in, in that first year and I sit behind John Elway for a couple years? Right. What does that look like? Right. Another big thing in San Diego is that there was a chance for them to bring Warren Moon in. Because he played for Kevin Gilbride in Houston uh, as my mentor. And uh, they didn't do that. They kept me and some, uh, some guy, a journeyman, that had never really played as the two quarterbacks on the roster. And then in year two, they brought in Jim Harbaugh, and I finally got it. I had a guy that, like, he competed his ass off. He's one of the most competitive guys you have. But he taught me how to be a professional football player. But by that time, my career was over, man. I was busted. Uh, I was this head case. I was this problem. Um, and it, it just, it never, never self-corrected because I never self-corrected. Ryan, what happened to the money, man? You got 30 up front. I ain't even touch half of 30, and I still got money. Well, it was, you know, back in the day, 25 years ago, it, the headline says $31 million, right? Signing bonus was 11, which is still, 
That's a lot of damn Still money. a lot of damn money. Uh, three years in the contract with lower salaries, right? So I, I probably made $15 million mm -hmm. out of all that. Seven and a half go to taxes. Mm -hmm. uh, 3.8 of it went to the ex-wife. Um, so I have $3.8 million, and I lived like I was still making $5 million a year. Had the big house, flew on private planes. I just figured that the money would never run out. Didn't fully understand what that looked like. And before you know it, it's gone. When you, when you were making $0 a year yep. and you live like you're uh, still making $5 million a year, it goes away. And so it, it, it was gone. I had my insurance policy from the NFL when I got out of prison, which was like around, I can't remember what it was. Also, luckily, the NFL Player Care Foundation mm -hmm. existed because Tyrone Allen and the NFLPA told me, we're not giving you any money. We're, gonna just, we're not throwing good money after bad, is what they told me. Right. Wow. Mm -hmm. But luckily, the NFL Care, uh, Player Care Foundation stepped up, and they helped me pay for my treatment when I went and got treatment. Otherwise, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I mean, there have been so many people that have carried me over the last eight years, guys. So many people. And, uh, I mean, I think it's, that's important for me to understand. Like, I didn't do this on my own at all. Just like back in the day, I didn't make it there on my own, and I thought I did. I, like, I did it in spite of everybody telling me I couldn't do it, but I didn't realize all the people carrying me. Like, I didn't know my mom and dad were living paycheck to paycheck right. and still making sure I never know, knew that, did everything I needed to do to get where I needed to get, the sacrifices they made. My brothers, both my brothers, right? They had to live in that house when I was in the NFL and making an embarrassment of the whole family. My brother told something to my aunt one time. He said, no one laughs in our house anymore. Wow. Imagine being a big brother and your little brother, that, that's what's being said. Like, no one laughs in your house, and I'm responsible for that. I think the, the, the last question, man, and, and we'll wrap it at this, is, you know, and I don't... You, you, you gave me an example of what you look like in prison, you know, so I, so I can, and obviously I Googled before we started this and I've, I've seen some of the pictures. I can imagine looking in the mirror, feeling what you're feeling and the things you had to be telling yourself at that point. When Ryan Leaf wakes up now and he looks in the mirror, how does he feel about the guy staring back at him and what is he telling him? He loves him. He loves him, and uh, he says it's going to, and what I say to myself now is it's going to be okay, right? You just do what you did yesterday. I don't know what five years are going to look like from now. I don't know, you know, the way I think, my best thinking takes me to a prison cell, so maybe five years from now I'm back in prison. I don't know. I know if I do what I did today, tomorrow, most likely I'll lay my head down at peace and wake up and do the same thing again. I don't, I don't look too far out, man. I mean, my schedule on my calendar is this. Like, it's pray, it's meditate, it's take the train in, it's do the work. You know, today it was an opportunity to do this, you know. Head home, spend some time with the family, got the game tonight, prepare for, uh, uh, for work tomorrow on that, fly to Norman, call the game in Oklahoma this weekend. I mean, I got the life of my dreams. I thought the life of my dreams was playing professional football, right? Not even close, man. Like, I get the life of Ryan dreams now. You go in any stadium now as a former player, man, and call the game, you never walk out with an L. Ever. <laughs> so, I'll tell you this, Ryan. I'll tell, tell you this, Ryan. If you're going to do some crazy shit, call me. I'll come wrestle your big ass. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, you use me as a resource. If you plan on doing you know something what, crazy. Though? That's important, and I appreciate that, because guess what? Our, our brothers are dying. Yes, they are. And I don't know why I had the reaction I had when Vincent Jackson died. I didn't play with him even. But I was like in an emotional place. It was during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And maybe because I knew what it felt like to be dying in a hotel room alone, because I've been there before. Uh, and I knew the NFL, and I knew the NFLPA knew about it. And like, I mean, have something together. Like if somebody would have called me, I'd have got on that plane, knocked on his damn door, and do would have had to listen to me, because I've been through exactly where he's been at. And so, um, there's some empathy, empathy with that. And that was, that's incredibly meaningful. I mean, it was, you know, it, it, it's said in jest, but meaningful. And I hear, I heard you. Yeah. So yeah, if I feel like I'm ever going to get into some shit or like I don't, don't feel right about something, that's where I need my peers. We're yeah, guys yeah. that, that know what it's like to go through what we went through, regardless of whether you played five years or you played 18 years. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and so I think for the longest time, I didn't feel like I 
belonged in that. Like I thought, you guys all thought I was a piece of shit. You guys all thought I was a bust. All those things. Like, so I would veer away from inner interaction because I felt judged. Or, and since I've gotten back into it over the last seven years, where I'm working in the field that I work in, and I interact with you guys now more, and hadn't seen Fred for almost 25 years. I've been under the radar. But guys want to help. Guys want to help. Really do. And I and I want to help. That's that's the bigger thing in all this. Like, what's so hurtful sometimes is that. I'll have seen somebody a few days before or at an event or something like that, and they know my story. But it's still the stigma that still exists that they're so fearful of letting anybody know that they're struggling. Mm -hmm. Like the fear of someone known, knowing that you are hurting is worse than, than getting the help that you need. Mm -hmm. And that's the bigger problem in all this. So um, I had breakfast like two weeks before the, the young quarterback at, at Washington State, my alma mater, Tyler Helinski, took his own life. We're having breakfast together. He knew my story. He knew what I'm going through, but he still didn't feel like he could tell me, like, hey, man, I, I, don't, I don't know what the fuck to do here. Help me. Um, and so we got to change that. Right. And I think, you know, you guys have such a platform and a reach, and I think, you know, watching some of your stuff and hearing people talk about the way they talk about it, I think it's, it's destigmatizing. And that's, that's the biggest importance, because we may never see the change. I mean. You guys know it's better than anybody, man. Six, from the 60s to now, of course there's been change. But when the mental health side of things, maybe I'll never see the actual change. But if we don't start working on it, like it will never come. So, yeah, Michael Phelps. Um, you got Kevin Love. You got DeMar DeRozan, man, yeah. stepping up, talking about how they, they go through shit. Like everybody does. Yeah. Um, that removes that stigma and allows somebody like Calvin Ridley, when he's really going through something, to say, I need to take a step back. You know, and that's, you applaud that. It's hard to look at somebody when you can't identify it, when it's not a broken ankle, mm -hmm. right? So that's hard. You gotta, there's gotta be some faith from people that they're gonna understand, and that takes time, and that's what we're doing. I wanna say on behalf of The Pivot and uh, everybody out there and, and all of the fans that love stories of redemption, I wanna say salute to you for sticking in there. You know, and uh, now having the, the, the opportunity to go out and, and share your message and your journey, your story with anyone else, especially these young guys that, um, that need that. They need the transparency. You know, they need to see the vulnerability. And that um, it's okay. That's, that's a thousand percent okay. So on, on behalf of all of that, man, big salute to you, bro, for, for not giving up, for making that ultimate pivot and, and, and changing to the trajectory you know, of your life, for your family, your friends, your, your parents, you know, your former teammates, people that still struggle, that are afraid to speak. Keep going, bro. Um, I'm glad to see that you're well, obviously, and I uh, appreciate you for hopping on with us. Yeah, I'm big a salute. pleasure. I think you should know this too, man, and I'm sure people that have been around the game that have gotten to talk to you now say it. We actually all do remember how good you were. And I and I and I don't know. Yes. Like I, I don't know if you if you hear it enough. And like we joked about like the biggest bus thing and like that's you know, I'm glad you're at a point where you can laugh and that's something that people could talk about. I can say that. You guys can't. Yeah, I'm not. Well, bro, we wasn't. I wasn't. <laughs> but like I, I laughed about that locking up with you. I yeah. really don't want to wrestle your yeah, big yeah. ass. But like truly, man, like I think, you know, like I, I can sit in this room and um, you know, that year. My favorite football player in the world was, was Charles Woodson, actually, you know. And uh, so I followed everything very closely. But, like, everybody knew. Anybody who watched football knew how talented you were, uh, knew how successful you were, knew what you meant when you were on the grass at your best. You know, we got to see you at your worst, but if they put a camera on all of us, we've all been that. Yeah. And the film is the film. But just know, man, like, you did what you had to do that we remember uh, the good as well, man. Like Freddie said, I echo everything he said, man. We're really grateful you came through. And that sort of transparency is why we started this platform. For sure. I'm glad you did. Uh, and if you, wanna, if you wanna hear my story from me, you go to my podcast, Bust, The Ryan Leaf Story. Um, Kevin Connolly uh, from Entourage fame produced it. He's, you know, he's, he, he got involved with it and really we tried to do something different where it's, it's just me in front of a microphone telling my story. 
you know, unvarnished. Um, and we're uh, releasing some uh, bonus episodes. I had my uh, my high uh, my college coach on, and then I had my warden from my prison on, wow. and then I had Jay Posner, the reporter I yelled at, yeah. on. So uh, I thought those were three really impactful guys that could give different perspective from than what my own was. Like I'm I was in that bubble. Like how was I in prison? You know, because I know I treated the guards like shit. Like I I tried to f with them all the time. I know I did, but I wanted. I want to know what the perspective was coming from the warden. Like, was I a problem? He's like, Ryan, we never really saw you. You stayed in your room. You didn't do anything. You were, you were incredibly depressed. And and uh, um, there were times, yeah, where you tried to, you know, tell everybody how important you are by trying to f people. But, but we didn't see you, man. And uh, so it was interesting to hear that kind of perspective. So, uh, those uh, those will be released here soon. And uh, uh, you know, it's been overwhelming to hear the uh, to feel the impact from people who listen to it. So, thank you so much, man. Man, Ryan Leaf would beat the piss out of you, too. You were really little compared to him. I don't know, man. I got these knees. <laughs> yeah, the knees ain't going to that. Yeah. Shot you down, bro. Yeah. Way to go, bro. Appreciate you, bro. Thanks, hey, man. I'm telling you, when I saw him on the treadmill. See, I was supposed to work, man. We'd run into each other. Hey, when I saw I him on the treadmill, though, I was like, this motherfucker is huge. <laughs> it's funny. I walked up to the bar. I was going to give me a wine. And I walked up, and I looked, and I was like, oh, that's right. <laughs> Hold up. Let me listen. I'm a guy pinning it. I father here to witness it. Got my people feeling militant. Way up in the got me up. Uh, on the mission, got me up. Uh, knowing me, I got the key. Uh, on the vision, I can trust. Uh, trust. Uh, limitless. Take a stomach cap pinning it. I father here to witness it. Got my people feeling militant. Way up in the got me up.